0: newton media group a family of creative services presents the voice Work podcast today is friday november 5th 2021 on the podcast today we'll take a little deeper look into a book introduced in a previous podcast with a chapter by chapter look at the art of thinking in systems a crash course in logic Critical Thinking, and Analysis-Based Decision-Making Strategic Problem-Solving for Everyday Life Written by Stephen Schuster Narrated by Russell Newton Chapter 1 What is Systems Thinking? As a teacher, I often found that visual demonstrations were the best at helping my students understand difficult or abstract concepts. For one lesson, I brought in a small boomerang curved flat piece of wood. I started walking around the classroom so my students could see it up close. Then, I threw the boomerang. I asked my students what made the boomerang come back to me. They unanimously thought me throwing it led to its return. Have I let the boomerang be, it wouldn't have moved. I told them that we would further test their theory. I threw the box I brought the boomerang in the same way of course the box did not come back it flew a short distance and dropped to the ground i could see a light bulb switch on my student's head we went on to discuss that it was not my hand or the way i threw the boomerang that made it behave the way it did when my hand released the boomerang it freed the tool to operate in the way it was designed to pure physics its shape speed air resistance and the way gravity impacted it all contributed to the boomerang return to me. The little wooden tool was an element of a larger system. It was interconnected with other elements, such as gravity, the air, speed, and me. The purpose of this system was to provide the boomerang the necessary environment to get back to its original source. Given that I threw the boomerang at the right angle and speed, the system worked perfectly. Every element did its job well. However, had I thrown it with less vigor, or in a spaceship where there's no gravity, or the boomerang that was missing a small piece, the system's purpose, the returning of the boomerang, would have been... Chapter 2. The Elements of System Thinking Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Winston Churchill The same can be said for systems thinking... Removing a leader from power without addressing and changing the system that was in place during their rule will only mean that the same patterns will continue to repeat themselves. If there's little or no understanding of the system those leaders are embedded in, nothing will change. The parts of a system. Systems are made up of three parts elements, interconnections, and a function or a purpose. The word function is used when talking about a non-human system, and the word purpose is used for human systems. The elements are the actors in the system. In your circulatory system, the elements are your heart, lungs, blood vessels, arteries, and veins. They do the work. The interconnections connections would be the physical flow of blood, oxygen, and other vital nutrients through your body. The function of the circulatory system is to allow blood, oxygen, and other gases, nutrients, and hormones to flow through the body to reach all of your cells. A basketball team is a system made up of elements including players, coaches, the ball, hoops, and the court, the rules for playing the game, the plays drawn up by the coach, the talking and signals between the players and Newton's laws of motion that dictate how the ball and players move are the interconnections. The purpose of the team is to win games, earn scholarships or a paycheck, get exercise or just have fun. A school is a system with the elements represented by teachers, students, principals, custodians, secretaries, bus drivers, cooks, parents and counselors. The interconnections are the relationships between the elements, the school rules, the schedule and the communications between. Chapter three. How to shift from linear thinking patterns to systems thinking. Is it a problem or a symptom? The first step in moving from linear thinking to systems thinking is to decide if something is the core problem or only a symptom. Linear thinking seeks cause and effect explanations. In complex problems, this leads to reductionist conclusions, and we end up treating symptoms. We do surface examination of behaviors, instead of finding the core problem and firing our munition on that target. For example, you visit the doctor because you're not feeling well. If the doctor treats your symptoms without finding the real cause of your illness, your problem won't go away. In fact, giving you some ibuprofen to your belly pain and sending you home without running tests that exclude grave conditions may end up making things worse. Your pain will be numbed for a bit, but the underlying condition will keep aggravating. Before you know it, your belly pain will turn into a full-blown ulcer and your healing will take much longer. The same stands true for systems. You need to take the time to carefully analyze the system's behavior patterns, elements, interconnections, and purpose or function so you can find and solve the real problem. With that, the symptoms will be eliminated as well. How can you tell if something is the real problem or just a symptom? Here are eight clues based on the work of Jim Olhoff and Michael Walchewski. 1. The problem doesn't justify the amount of time and energy you're spending on it. If the issue seems smaller than the effort you're putting into addressing it, chances are it's a symptom and not the true problem. 2. People have the power to solve the problem, but choose not. Chapter 4. Understanding System Behavior We know that systems are composed of elements, interconnections, and a purpose or function. But there's more to learn if we want to become adept at systems thinking. Before we learn about additional parts of systems, let's recap some of the key concepts in systems thinking that we've covered so far. Keep in mind that systems are greater than just the sum of their parts have interconnections that often function through the flow of information, have a function or purpose, often the least obvious component, and typically the critical factor in setting a system's behavior. They have a structure that contributes to the system's behavior, which is influenced by feedback mechanisms. Donella Meadows talks about system in the following terms. These terms are used when we are illustrating systems. Stock. A stock serves as the base of a system. Stocks may be physical, like an amount of money or an inventory, but they don't have to be. Stocks can also be feelings or attitudes that people hold. Stocks are not static. They change over time based on the impacts of a flow. Stocks are snapshots in time showing a current view of the changing flows in the system. Flow. Flows are the actions that impact a system. A flow might be success or failure, purchases or sales, deposits or withdrawals, or growth or decline. How are stocks and flows related in systems? If there are more inflows than outflows, the level of stock will increase. If there are more outflows than inflows, the level of a stock will decrease. If the amount of outflows... Chapter 5. System Errors When we think in systems, we can detect certain system-related errors. Most of these errors are predictable and visible once we learn about them and we know what to look for. Let's familiarize with a few system errors. Policy Changes We learned in the previous chapter that balancing feedback loops are the stabilizing force in systems. When they're at work, the system presents few changes, if any, even though outside forces are impacting it. While there are many examples of when maintaining the status quo is a good thing, there are times when this is not the case. Much like someone who has had the exact same hairdo since the 1980s and has no desire to ever change it, sometimes the behavior patterns of a system can get stuck in a rut. This phenomenon is called policy resistance. It happens when, despite efforts to come up with innovative solutions or fixes, the system's behavior patterns remain unchanged. In the United States, the public education system offers a prime example of policy resistance. The United States government hopes to improve its public education system and increase student achievement. President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Elementary and secondary education act into law with the goal of adequately funding public education so that all students regardless of their socioeconomic status would have access to a good education and schools would need to meet high standards of accountability in 2001 president george w bush signed the no child left behind act and its primary focus was to use annual assessments in grade 3 through 8 and once in high school to ensure that all students were meeting high standards in their academic achievement. School funding became tied to house. Chapter 6. The Falling Systems Systems can be stuck in a negative loop without an obvious way out. This chapter is going to explore these reinforcing feedback loops and present ways to break free of them. There's a sushi place in my area called Zen Maru. This little shop started as a window booth. You could order the best, most fresh, tasty, and well-priced sushi in the neighborhood. It was awesome. I introduced it to at least five of my friends. So did other people. The word spread about this sushi wonder bar, and it became increasingly popular. In short time, they got more orders than they could handle. What happens when there is high demand and low supply? You guessed it right. They increased their prices with a good 15%. This, of course, didn't solve the backlog. Customers only waited longer now for a higher price. Zen Maru hired a few people to help with the unimaginable demand. However, they didn't have time to properly select and train their personnel, so the quality of their products went down too. Slow, expensive, mediocre, this became of Zen Maru. That's why I, unfaithfully, started ordering from Toyo Sushi. Some systems don't just resist change to remain in a state of equilibrium, but they face a gradual but certain decline. This is referred to as a drift to low performance. The national debt is another example that follows the pattern of drifting to low performance. So is our healthcare system. We need to pay much more than decades ago. To get the same level of care, people summon the energy to solve a problem when they sense a gap between their goal and their present state. In it, Chapter 7 Escalation, Merriam Webster defines escalation as the increase in extent, volume, number, amount, intensity, or scope. It can be as simple as kids saying, You hit me, so I'll hit you back harder. And then one hits back a little harder, and before you know it, someone is in tears. It can also be as complex as a war of words between leaders of two nations that leads to a real war with devastating impacts for the world. Escalation can be positive or negative, helpful or a hindrance, and healthy or unhealthy. No matter where you look, you can find examples of escalation. In terms of system thinking... Escalation is a reinforcing loop created by actors who try to compete to get ahead of one another. Escalation can be a good thing when it's connected to achieving a positive goal, like an advancement in technology, finding a cure for cancer, or the world's common efforts to develop a vaccine for COVID-19 in record time. It can speed up the whole system toward reaching the goal. Escalation can also lead a system in a negative direction. If escalation erodes relationships and gives birth to hatred, it can ultimately slow a system down and impede its ability to achieve its purpose. One example of escalation is the unending pressure on cell phone companies to always come up with the next big improvement before their competitors. We get better and better phones thanks to this. A negative example of escalation could be the dangerous participation of of the United States and USSR in the Cold War. The two countries were trying to compete with one another for dominance. They tried to outdo each other by increasing their weaponry. Chapter 8. Why do the rich get richer? In this chapter, we'll dive into the age-old question, why do the rich get richer, and see if we can find some answers to satisfy our curiosity. The financially well-off often use their wealth and privilege to get insider information, special or additional knowledge. This, in turn, helps them to generate more money, privilege, and closed group information for themselves. Competitive exclusion is a system trap. What happens when someone wins a competition, he or she gets a reward? This reward, monetary, equipment, granted access, gives the winner the ability to compete even better or easier next time. This forms a reinforcing feedback loop, which increases the likelihood that the winners will keep winning and the losers will keep losing. When there are two competing businesses, eventually one will gain an advantage over the other by being more efficient, having better technology, or making wiser investments. This advantage generates more money, which can then be reinvested in the company. This is a reinforcing feedback loop at work in this scenario. For example, in the United States, automobile manufacturers have been reduced to three. Antitrust laws have kept it from dropping to one. Many cities have only one major newspaper and so on. Television, Internet, and telecommunication providers continue to merge, with the government keeping a watchful eye to prevent any one company from becoming so big and powerful That it drives all its competitors out of business look at picture 11 the war between the richest a's will lower profit margins with time and slow down their individual growth as you can see in loop r1 and chapter nine systems thinking in relationships relationships especially romantic ones can't be reduced to a simple cause and effect analysis What happens in our relationships is much more complex. There are times when cause and effect thinking is helpful, yet when we're dealing with relationships, it can have unwanted results. We see something we don't like and look for a quickly and easily identifiable cause. Pointing the finger at our partner when things go wrong is a common folly. This behavior can trigger misunderstanding and contempt in the relationship, without leading to any resolution. It's human nature to try to attribute painful or disruptive events to a cause. We may wonder why our children don't behave better, why we struggle to make ends meet financially, and why our life isn't as carefree and enjoyable as it used to be. We blame the government, the school, that our spouse works too much. Yes, all these villains can contribute to a problem we're facing, but the underlying issue is much more complex we can overcome our tendency to look for victims and villains when we put on our systems thinking lenses we acknowledge that there's always more than one cause at play dr john gottman a professor emeritus in psychology who's renowned for his research into marital stability and ability to predict future divorce with at least 90 percent accuracy Warns that contempt is one of the four problems that wrecks relationships. Dr. Gottman uses the metaphor of the four horsemen of the apocalypse who symbolize the end of times in the New Testament in his analysis of marriages that are headed for divorce. This has been The Art of Thinking and Systems, a crash course in logic, critical thinking, and analysis based decision making, strategic problem solving for everyday life. Written by Stephen Schuster. Narrated by Russell Newton. Copyright 2021 by Stephen Schuster. Production Copyright by Stephen Schuster. More information regarding today's book and the author can be found at audible.com or amazon.com. Show notes and further information can be found at russellericnewton.com. With an eclectic collection of insights, knowledge, and trivia from some of the newest audiobooks on the market, this has been the Voice Over Work podcast, brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services.